Welcome, listeners, to www.ironradio.org, the website and podcast for all things strength sports and sports nutrition. With your hosts, Lonnie Lowry. Remember, Phil is like a gnarled old oak tree held together with scar tissue and bone spurs. Rob Fortney. And I'm telling you, the pain that I would suffer was beyond excruciating. And Phil Stevens. Do it, Rob. You'll kill all those nerves. Thanks for listening. Welcome, IronRadio.org listeners. This is Lonnie Lowry. I'm an exercise physiologist and a nutritionist, and I'm a former competitive bodybuilder. And this is Phil Stevens. I'm a coach. I run Strength Guild. I'm also an athlete in powerlifting and highland games and run the USSF. This is Dr. Mike <laughs> T. Nelson. I'm an exercise physiologist. I teach for Globe University, and I like lifting heavy stuff and going to geeky conferences. Yes, you do. Hey, everyone. This is <laughs> actually this is a time warp episode because we're recording this weeks before you will hear it, actually. Um because Mike and I will be traveling uh, in May as well, in mid-May. So that's when you're actually going to be hearing this. But, Mike, you just got back from the experimental biology meeting. And um, so, again, it's it's sort of a time warp episode. It's out of order. But, listeners, when you hear this, you will have already heard Mike's report from experimental biology. So I'll try not to uh, spoil you know that because, mm-hmm. again, by the time listeners hear this, that you've already heard it. So. Anyhow. And we'll be in Japan when they hear this. Yeah. Yeah, indeed. Um, we've got news. We've got listener mail. We've got Facebook things building up on us. So I think that's what we're going to address today a little bit. Uh, Strength and Muscle Sport News. I almost feel like I should apologize for the, these first two. They're pretty dry. But if you're one of the people who listens to the podcast through these uh, outlets that I'm about to talk about, they're going to matter to you a lot. So I wanted to address these very quickly. First, um, I ha- there was uh, two or three listeners, oh man, over a year ago, who said, can you uh, become a partner with Stitcher? It's an app. People can listen to this show, and some people can only get it that way for whatever reason. They can't use iTunes or, or what have you. Um, Stitcher was recently bought by a company called Deezer which is the world's second largest on-demand music streaming service. So I think the Stitcher offices just moved over there next to those guys in San Francisco and et cetera, et cetera. It says we're rolling out a new update. So again, if you use Stitcher, be ready for this Deezer update because Deezer bought them. Um, It says nothing has changed about content ownership. And again, so, you know, Iron Radio is... A free resource. We still own it. You guys still get it. So you might just have to update the app. I'm not exactly sure. And then it says, as far as providers, that would be us on our end, you can now distribute your shows inside Deezer products domestically and internationally, you know, and then reach thousands of new people, etc. So Stitcher, if you use it, uh, be ready. Deezer bought them. Uh, number two, again, I told you it was dry. Libsyn is our backup server, and I don't know, those of you who have checked out our Facebook page, you know that our Libsyn backup server has saved our butts two weeks in a row. Mm. Uh, If our regular server has a hernia for some reason, then (laughs) we just, I pump it out through iTunes, and 
I point people, you know, Facebook, everything else to our Libsyn backup server. So you might not even notice when that happens. But uh, Libsyn is also throwing updates at us. It says um, the podcast box app. And I've tweeted about this before and stuff, but it will become the podcast source. Uh, I actually on my I have one of those Microsoft Surface tablets and it's already at least it's it's branded as the podcast source. So if you have a podcast box app, you paid like $1.99 for that. You, what they wanted you to do is you buy the podcast box app and then you get the Iron Radio stuff for free. And I've tried to be diligent at least every other week to put freebies on there if you have the app. So a little bit of behind the scenes recording or a, you know some other freebie, a PDF file, that kind of stuff. But it says there's a snazzy new design. Again, this is Libsyn. It's our backup server, but it's also the provider of the Iron Radio app. Snazzy new design, uh, branding, and functionality. Uh, all apps listed in the podcast box app uh, will become free because I think some people charged for their content through the app. Uh, let me go right to what uh, listeners care about more. It says two main reasons they're doing this. First, to provide greater consistency in their network. Second, to allow a greater number of producers, that would be us, I suppose, um, free listing in the different app markets. So instead of having the, the Libsyn podcast box app, when you upgrade uh, or just update, if you've already paid for it, then you simply look for something that looks more standalone. You know, and that can be good for Iron Radio. We can kind of brand it a little bit better. It says, what does my audience need to do? And again, this is if you own the Podcast Box app. It says, all you need to do is update the app you already have installed when it becomes available in April. Any shows that you added to the My Shows tab in the Podcast Box will remain when it is updated to the podcast source. So don't sweat it. Like I said, I'm sensitive about that stuff. Uh, this is from Sarah Morio from the Libsyn guys. So if you've got the podcast box app, just upgrade to the or uh, update to the podcast source app. <laughs> I don't know, mm -hmm. and you'll be able to to keep getting the stuff. Uh, shouldn't be uh, painful. Anyway, like I said, that matters if you've got one of those two things. All right, um, listener mail. Let's get to some of this. Um, I have an email here from. Michael, and we can all weigh in on this. I asked him if it'd be okay to put this on the air, and he said, yeah, go for it. So it says, uh, hey, guys, I hope you're doing well. Thanks for all you guys are doing. You are all telling me that there are waters much deeper than the ones I can swim in or I swim in. Well, damn it. I'm going to do it. Anyway, I'm slowly growing fond of the get big idea. I am slightly below 160 uh, but I am relatively strong for a smaller guy. I spent the last three months trimming down the beer and sugar weight, uh, which was considerable. After achieving my goal of being just under 10% fat, I was not as happy with the results as I imagined I would have been. No six-pack, not as muscular, and I am not going for a Ben Greenfield-type body style. To bring the story to a point, uh, I want to get big muscularly and not fat. Uh, I'm eating like Phil talks about. I heard you guys talking about nutrition periodization, and I know you are a proponent of the temporal plan. Uh, I'm toying with the idea of periodizing the diet uh, interweek by eating heartily on the weekend and going to a maintenance plan during the weekdays. 
Uh, I want to get as big as possible and maintain a physique of muscle. So I figure it's a bulk and slim approach. Bulk on for three months and then slim for three months, then repeat. I've also switched from doing full body general workouts to a periodized body part approach. So I can give one section a day my all. The question, uh, do you see this getting me to my epic goal of being worthy of wielding Mjolnir? <laughs> <laughs> so, um, Phil, he mentioned you uh, specifically. So what mm -hmm. do you think about the, you know, maintenance, eating during the week, bulk on the weekend? And the then only thing that he mentions that I, well, I don't know if two days of eating big is going to do much anything. <clears throat> but, I mean, that's just me being honest. Um you know, it it usually takes more than that. The, the only problem I saw about the plan was the whole three months going up and three months going down. That sounds like one heck of a roller coaster to me. I would do, I like more of a, it is kind of, it's akin to what I, what I proposed, but um, I like the set a number, say, okay, I'm going up 10 pounds. And if that takes three months, fine. And then it's more of a, it's an up and then maintain instead of up and then down type of thing. I, I like seeing people go up. Okay, now let's stay there. And then, okay, now let's make a decision to go up again or whatnot. So it might be an up, stay for three months, down type of thing. Um, because, I don't know, I've just seen it takes longer than that amount of time. If you go up and down that quickly, you end up on this roller coaster that kind of goes nowhere is, is what I'm getting at. Whereas if you go up and then maintain that new, new body weight for a while, um, you, you have a greater case of hanging on to some of it. Uh, if that makes sense. Yeah, I agree with that. And I'll tell you, uh, we've said this before, but I can't point to specific literature about how long you have to hold a new body weight before it becomes your new set point. But I would mm. think just 12 weeks, which is what Michael was talking about, uh, I'm not sure you're going to build those super permanent kinds of structures and mechanisms in your cells. You know what I mean? Like you were saying, Phil, as soon as you you get up in weight, then you start bringing it back down. Yeah. Um, Again, now, this is hard for him, I think. You know, he's yeah. sort of suggesting this is weird for me. So I think that's why he's doing – he's a little bit reluctant. He's just doing the two days, you know, the weekend bulking and just doing it for three months at a time. But yeah. I agree with you. I think maybe six-month – I like six-month blocks, frankly, because yeah. he could do like what you were just suggesting and what he's suggesting, which is try his system for three months, for 12 weeks, then mm -hmm. hold it for three months. Yes. Then maybe trim down for the next mm -hmm. half a year. But I yeah, really like the half a year. Six thing. months in and, you know, it's basically just don't be, you know, be a little more patient, you know, because, yeah, let's say you put on 10 pounds in three months and you're like, man, some of this is fat. Well, hang on for a minute. <laughs> you know, let it, it, something neat happens when you hold there. Like if I go up 20 pounds, of course, initially some of that is body fat. Now, if I just maintain that and keep working hard, usually three months later now, less of that is body fat. That's the hope. Know? Yeah. So um, even though I'm at the same body weight. Exactly. Uh, so. And I find that's true. Like, um, obviously, somewhere in my lifting career, my body weight set point has put itself around 210. You know, it's harder for me to weigh more than that. It's actually very hard for me to weigh less than that. And so I do believe I recomposed around there because originally when I got up to 210, I was just probably pretty bloated and sloppy, you know. Yeah. But, and again, I don't want anybody to think we've got a lot of hardcore scientific evidence to support this idea that you recompose. Uh, but I do think you need to have this new set point.
point, you know, somehow tell your hypothalamus or whatever mechanism in your body that this is the new me and then build some structure, solidify, make them more permanent, you know. Um, yeah. I mean, I can tell you only through purely, uh, you know, practical knowledge. I mean, mine has went from like 200 as a, hey, it's really easy to stay here. It's hard to go up and down to about 250. So, yeah. um, you know, now it's about, about 250. It's like, hey, I can I can just eat normal and stay here. Um, yeah. You know, I have to do something to go down. I have to do something to go up. So, And I do think there are individual differences. I mean, you know, testosterone concentrations vary mm -hmm. widely from guy to guy. I mean, there's lots of things that that could affect this. You know what I mean? But yeah. I've never seen good data, uh, certainly not from a weight gain perspective, about set point, you know, mm -hmm. as far as a muscular weight recomposing. But you also don't see from weight loss perspective, you know, how long you've got to get your body weight down. Let's say you get down to that risky area that's maybe 10% less than you normally weigh. How long do you have to stay there before your body begrudgingly accepts that's the new you? Is yeah. it six yeah. months? I, I don't think anybody's really answered that. What do you think, Dr. Nelson? Yeah, a couple of things. Um, I agree. There's not much you know research uh, on that to say how long you need to stay and that type of thing. Um, there is some research from the Levine study from the Mayo who was actually looking at NEAT, so non-exercise and activity thermogenesis, mm -hmm. where they overfed the subjects by 1,000 calories per day. And fascinating, when you look at the actual data, even though these people were not necessarily told to exercise, exercise wasn't scheduled in their program or anything, um, a good portion of that, like 30 40%, was actually lean body mass. Mm -hmm. So even just simply overfeeding, and again, this is a short-term study, um, seems like it increases lean body mass. So I agree with what you guys said. For I would I'd, I set it up as taking a period of time to do expansion. So can you increase your performance in the gym? Can you increase the amount of calories? You know, sort of slowly over time. Because if you rapidly go up overnight, a lot more of that's going to be fat, mm -hmm. and your strength isn't going to exponentially increase by that much. And then the other note I had too is that he may consider doing more. Uh, compound type exercises, deadlift, squat, bench, you know, military press, that type of stuff. And I, I even will set up like a Monday, Wednesday, maybe Saturday or Friday, you know, mostly compound lifts, that type of thing. And if people have the, the goal of more body composition and hypertrophy, it doesn't seem to be that fatiguing. You know, you get a little bit more hypertrophy, burn more calories, and uh, people seem to make pretty good progress on that. And most people enjoy it too. So I think it's a little bit of the best of both worlds doing that too, which it kind of sounds like that's more of his goal. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think the other thing to consider, and I am guessing that Michael has, is uh, there's two ways to get in a positive energy balance, right? You can eat more, but you don't have to just do it that way. You can also do less. And you made me think about this actually, Mike, when you said um, you know compound lifts and that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. um, I think Michael has graduated beyond the point of doing stuff like concentra concentrations curls, you know, or uh, yeah. focusing on those rear delts with some bent laterals and, you know, that sort of nonsense. But a lot of that stuff is just useless calorie expenditure. So you mm -hmm. can trim that way back. And honestly, that's where I think off-season bodybuilding kinds of things, which sounds like he's interested in, is actually pretty similar with the powerlifter thing, like mm -hmm. five sets of five with some serious mm -hmm. compound lifts, and then just leave the gym in 45 to 60 minutes, you know. Yeah, um, and I agree. I mean, and that's, you know, it brings up the topic of, of like, Justin and uh, Alicia, who are both 
they're clients of mine and they're competing today in physique. So he's doing bodybuilding, she's doing bikini. And I always get that question from clients or people, you know, propose, uh, prospective clients. Okay, well, I want to do bodybuilding. How's my, how's my program change? Well, your diet's changing. Uh, other than that, it's not that big of a difference, yeah. you know, really. I mean, and people, people want to think it is. Um, but if you looked, if I showed you their training, like Alicia's was about five months worth of training, um, it, it's not that different from what my powerlifters and stuff are doing. Of course, towards the end, she's doing a bit more, you know, morning cardio and stuff like sure, that. Sure, morning the cardio. themselves aren't that, that different. We had to adjust down a little bit, of course, because when she's starting to reach low body fat, we're not going for super heavy weights, but we're still getting into the a couple reps in the 90% zone, you know, type of thing. So, um, yeah, the training isn't all that different. Um, it's, it's, it's heavy. About the, yeah, it's heavy. Yeah. It's, it's hard work and that's what builds muscle. And, you know, I, I, I'm to the point now where it's like, if, if somebody's not willing to make long-term goals, I'm just not that interested. You know, if you're not willing to put in a year, you know, it's like, man, things take time. Real change takes real time. You know, so, and I'm not saying that this guy isn't doing that, but I'm just saying maybe give a little more time to one thing before you start switching. I, I've just seen so much of the roller coaster stuff, um, you know, four to 12 weeks this way and then four to 12 weeks that way. And then a year later, the person's disappointed because they really didn't go much anywhere because they yeah. were just going up and down. I would so. suggest do this seasonally too, where, for example, let's say he wants to do this for 12 weeks. Maybe, maybe Michael, we can encourage you to at least bump it to 16 to 20 weeks, mm-hmm. but do it in such a way that you're carrying the extra body fat. Let's say you're in the mid teens percent fat or even upper teens, 18%, whatever mm-hmm. that that's happening. You know, you start like mid summer and that's actually happening in the fall during the sweater time anyway. You yeah. know what I mean? So you can actually become a little bit more comfortable carrying the extra body fat and water weight and, and that sort of stuff. And then maybe you hold that, you know, November, December, January, again, to try to solidify it again before mm-hmm. you trim it back off. You know, it, it just, I'm just trying to think of a seasonal way that you can more mm-hmm. behaviorally, comfortably put on the extra fat because I know that can be really hard for some people. I mean, there's people yeah. on the internet, of course, preaching that, you know, you can be lean all the time. And I just think that's bullshit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, uh, I can tell you. Is it in a way? Is it yo-yo dieting? Maybe, um, but there was definitely mm-hmm. times over the years I was competing where I'd weigh two thirty in the off season. I practically had to hold my breath while I leaned over to tie my shoes. Yeah, you know, because it just pushes the air right out of you. I mean, it's just crazy. I mean, you're uncomfortable. It's not necessarily fun. Uh, and then I would take twenty weeks and peel off the fat. You know, get down well, into yeah. low single and digits, that's... and you know, that's. That's time honored. That's the kind of stuff you're not going to see in a lot of textbooks, but I've seen it work again and again and again, and not just with me, you know. Yes. So, and that's that's something that we can all take from the you know the days of bodybuilding before ten to fifteen grams of GH. No doubt, you know? no doubt. <laughs> it's they did. They had time off seasons. They were heavier. You know, they looked more like power athletes. They sure did. And then they cut that off. You know, you have to eat to get bigger. And you have to, if you want to get considerably bigger, you're just going to have to accept that it's okay. I'm going to walk around with some body fat, but it's, I think it's this people get in this weird mindset. They think it's permanent. You know, I put on some pounds. Oh no. Well, yeah, but you did it on purpose and don't worry half a year from now, nine months from now, whatever you've set, 
you're going to take it back off. Right. And nobody's saying live on sugar and yes. Big Macs and get to be 35% body fat. Nobody's exactly. saying that. But, you know, something like I said, talk yourself into the mid-teens because you're still striking distance. It's a good point, yes. Phil. It's not permanent, for God's sake. You yeah. know, it's really not. And, you know, I mean, and that's the, the thing about anything. I mean, it's give it a try. You know, that's I've had people try. Okay, I want to try powerlifting. Okay, let's do it. So they'll give it six months. And six months from now, they're like, well, I really don't like that that much. Let's try this. Okay, we can change. You know, that's the neat thing is you can always change. You know? Right. And it's okay to try something for a, a, a longer period of time. And, you know, it's not like it's not going to ruin what you've done before. Um, but the other thing I'd, I'd, I'd say is if you're considerably in, increasing your calories, I would think about considerably increasing your volume. Like what I tend yep. to do with people is is the opposite of what uh, you see in a lot of the magazines. It's like in the magazines you see, you know, off-season power li- or bodybuilders, like they're doing lots of sets of threes and stuff like that and, and heavier work. And then it's like, okay, time to cut down. I'm going to do a crap load of volume. Oof. It made no sense to me because, I mean, doing volume does muscular damage. We need calories to repair muscular damage. You know, um, so I do the opposite. You know, when it when we're in, okay, it's time to gain. The best way to gain, turn a lot of that into muscle is let's do a bunch of damage and give that those calories somewhere to go. Um, and then when we're cutting down, in my mind at least, I don't have anything any science to back this up. But the best way for, to tell your body that I need to hang on to muscle, because muscle to me is also strength, is to consistently use that strength. You know, it's just like the runner. If you consistently run, you're going to get lighter. You're going to shed muscle. If if I tell my body on, on almost a daily basis, I have to pick up something really heavy. It's part of my daily task. It's going to hang on to some of that, you know. So, you know, our volume goes down a little bit. We stay fairly heavy. And then we'll do some low intensity, uh, you know, more low intensity cardio to, to just burn off. Fat. Yeah, I think that when you see people lose all their muscle mass you know the guys who diet badly when it comes Mm -hmm. time to get rid of the off-season weight you're right they cut their carbs and calories at the same time that they start these ridiculous toning workouts like Mm -hmm. the 12 to 20 reps all the time and that kind of stuff never understood that you know Mm -hmm. being a ectomorphic sort of by nature at least you know in my 20s and 30s uh that i i had to keep the volume fairly low you know, all the time. And it just made sense to me. Like I, I made sure, and again, from powerlifting standards, this isn't a lot, but I just made sure I could do a couple reps in the squat with 405, for example, you know, or, or, or maintain my bench around 275. Mm-hmm. Th- those are fairly heavy for me. And I did those right up to two weeks before a contest, mm-hmm. you know, because I knew, right, like you were saying, if you've got that level of strength, you can prove it to yourself. Look, yeah. I can still do this. I must not have lost that much muscle mass. Yeah. Instead of pussyfooting around with 50% of your one rep max, you know, and doing sets of 20 all the time. It's just. I mean, yeah. I, I mean, it was, we, I had a good thing put up the other day. Alicia, who's getting ready to do her first bikini competition. She put up results of her training and like she went down. She wasn't heavy to begin with. She went from like 140 to 123. But she added 50 pounds to her squat, added 65 pounds to her deadlift, added 30 pounds to her bench. Yeah, you know, at the end we were actually stronger. Actually, added, you know? yeah. and it's because we kept pushing heavy weight. Um, you know, it's not, it's not impossible. 
but a lot of that strength was gained before the massive dieting, of course. But I'm not saying that she got jacked and, you know, strong as hell eating broccoli and chicken breast in the hardest part of her dieting. But, right. you know, we hung on to as much of that as we could. And, you know, and this is this is not to say that you you can't do a finishing set of 15 or 20 reps yes. if you wanted to get a pump because you're feeling lean and, you know, it's motivating or or whatever. But but, yeah. Yeah. But, all I'm saying is don't go and do a crap load of tissue damage when you're not putting the nutrients in to repair it. Right. You know, it yeah. makes it just makes no sense to me. But well, and, you know, and the flip <clears> side, too, you might say, why do the guys get up to get up around? 15, 18% fat in the off season. Well, uh, and I think most powerlifters can really back us up on this, but when you're fatter and a little more bloated, you're stronger. Yes. I mean, you're just oh, yeah. stronger, yeah. you know, than when you're very, very lean. And I know some people say, well, fat doesn't f flex, you know, and that sort of stuff, but the tissue leverages or whatever's going on, maybe it's just the whole biochemical set point shifts into positive calorie balance and it just mm -hmm. changes the energetics of everything you do, whatever it is. Yeah, I, 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 for one, think that there's a certain requirement for body fat in the off season. I just do. Mm -hmm. I've seen too many guys; they stay single digit body fat all the time. I blew past them 20 years ago, and they're still in the local gyms. They're mm -hmm. in their mid 40s, like me, and they weigh 155 pounds. Yes, you know. So, <clears throat> yep. One quick comment on that too is that the easiest way to do that also is just to play around with frequency. I think people get really set that, well, I can only lift Monday, Wednesday, Friday, or whatever sort of template they have in their head. And so in more of the, the off-season, I'll have people start adding more days to the gym, right, which is a super easy way, like Phil was saying, you guys are saying, to add more volume. And then paradoxically, you start when they start getting leaner and their calories go down, you start pulling that out a little bit. Then you actually may even start dropping days, or you may have just really minimal work on, you know, Tuesday, Thursday, you know. So it actually becomes, looking at it overall, like Phil was saying, it becomes actually less time in the gym as they get closer to a competition. Because I've just seen way too many people burn themselves out trying mm -hmm. to increase their volume, even in the higher rep range, and then they're dramatically decreasing calories at the same time. Mm -hmm. It goes fine for a couple of weeks, and then you know when you need it to work the best, it's they're just a mess. <laughs> yeah, I think that's why the pre-breakfast <laughs> cardio is so handy because it's not intense enough. You're not crossing any of these stress barriers with with cortisol and stress hormones and you know that kind of stuff. You're uh, you're not continually brutalizing your muscles with tons and tons of reps and load. You know what I mean? And yet it's a fat-specific calorie drain. So that's why I've always liked that. I mean, there's different approaches to how you get the body fat off, you know. Uh, but from the gym or exercise perspective, I think the morning cardio is just a, a great way to do that because it's yeah. you're not burning your biceps down to little pea-sized nuggets <laughs> because you're doing 50 reps, you know, uh, across to a couple of sets. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Anyway, and from a nervous system standpoint, I've added low intensity fasted cardio and also to help with sort of the parasympathetic recovery since I monitor heart rate variability on a lot of people. And at some point, I think, you know, high intensity weight training is awesome for, you know, fat loss and gaining muscle. But at some point you can't, even with high calories, you just can't add any more of that stress to the system mm -hmm. and be able to recover from it. Yeah. But you can always add, you know, lower intensity, you know, go for a walk, do you know, park farther away, you know, all those little things can slowly kind of add up over time. And you're not really like you're saying, Lonnie, limited by as many resources being strained from doing that. Yeah. 
Yeah, no doubt. Let me finish with this before we go to break. Uh, there was a follow-up email because I said, basically, you know, thanks, you know, can we address, address this on air and whatnot? And he says, the gratitude is all mine. Uh, you brought my pursuit of fitness knowledge well out of the dark ages and Googling for answers. Uh, now it's time <laughs> to have some fun with it. Eating to get in shape is contrary to popular messaging, and it's taking some nerve just to dive into it. Uh, I don't mind if you address this at all on air. Um, would you mind letting me know when you do? So I'll have to let him know. Uh, again, this will come out in mid-May, uh, this show. But it says, uh, I'm working through many years of back episodes, so I don't always listen to the very current one. Uh, I'll keep you I'll keep you guys updated on my progress. Thanks again for all you do. So Awesome. Yeah, cool. <clears throat> All right, let's go to break. We'll come back and we'll uh, tackle some Facebook comments. There were some fun ones. Hi, this is Dr. Lowry with an update on the protein book that you hear about in the ad at the end of the show. Uh, if you simply Google CRC Press in protein, uh, there's a new development. On the right side of the page, you can see ebook, and there's a purchase slash rent option. And the cool thing here is if you check that out now, because they have an agreement with Vital Book, uh, you can actually download the ebook for $69. US So that's 31% off the 99 95 uh, cover price. So that's pretty fantastic. $69. I think that's going to drop it into the affordable range for a lot of people. And you can even rent it. Uh, lower down the page, they have 180 day rentals and one year rentals. So you can access the book in electronic format and get some of this juicy information. So thanks. Hi, this is Dr. Lonnie Lowry, and on behalf of Phil and Rob, I'd just like to let listeners know that if you love us or you hate us, we'd like you to leave a comment or perhaps vote for us on iTunes. It helps us out quite a bit on the popularity side of things. Uh, you can also follow uh, Dr. Lowry, me, on Twitter. Uh, it's Lawnman7 on Twitter if you want to do that. We also have a Facebook page, the Iron Radio uh, listeners page. So, uh, whether it's leaving a comment or voting for us or following us on Twitter or Facebook, uh, that would be fantastic. Also, uh, occasionally Rob or myself will write an article for another website, and Phil will as well. So lots of ways to um, interact, uh, follow us in other media, and vote for us and uh, keep things going strong on Iron Radio. Thanks. Iron Radio listeners are a unique bunch. You value both in-the-trenches skills and the research and evidence that informs it. That's why, as a listener-supported show, we occasionally do funds drives to keep everything free and advancing. Did you know your donations at www.ironradio.org pay for web servers? They allow for small sponsorships of gifted competitors or students and even partly fund research on our specific population. That's what we're asking for during the spring and early summer funds drive. Dr. Lowry, that's me, and some students are on the verge of some key discoveries involving caffeine and explosive lifts. But we need help to get the message out. 
If you value the authenticity, expertise, and real progress Iron Radio provides, please consider a donation. Any amount is appreciated, but if you could put forward $25 or more and email robertfortney at hotmail.com about it, we'll send you some behind-the-scenes audio lab notes that were recorded during data collection. They offer true insight into what research is like on barbell athletes. Thank you for considering it. Like your weekly fix of Iron Radio? In addition to being a popular institute on iTunes, we are also on email. Simply go to www.ironradio.org and sign up for the voluntary email. You'll get a once-per-week email, no more, that's little more than the show notes and a link to the audio. So go for it. All right, everybody, we are back from the break. We just got done talking about, uh, you know, gaining some some big muscles. So we got more, uh, you know, listener questions. There's a bunch of stuff on Facebook to address, so we figured we'd do that. I think the first one is... You know, Mike Barch just posted nine hours ago um, that he started lifting a year ago and, you know, listening to us. And he just some amazing progress pictures. So um, basically he, he just cut his calories down a bit from maintenance and he found us and uh, wish he found us sooner. But he's made a hell of a transformation. Um, he is literally half the man he used to be. So um, <laughs> I just wanted awesome. to give a, a give a shout out to him. He's, and not only that, not only did he lose a bunch of weight, but uh, – you know, he started with a back squat of 95 pounds, and now he has a 405. His wow. bench was – he was benching 115, and now it's 270. Um, deadlift from 135 to 450. Oof. Um, nice. So, yeah, I mean, massive, <laughs> massive progress in a year. Wow, so, that's crazy. Yeah, you're talking a 315-pound gain to his Ooh. deadlift in a year. So if I could do that, I'd be beating Magnuson. Yeah. So. <laughs> 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 but, uh, no, I just want to. I just want to say, you know, congratulations. Yeah, to you, congrats, man. man. That's, that's, a, yeah, that's awesome. a hell of a transformation. So, hopefully, other people look at that and, uh, you know, they they follow in your footsteps. But right, hey, it's good to see somebody stick to it. And it goes back to the topic we just talked about and what can be accomplished in a year, as opposed to weeks, you know, right? Type of thing. You know, he just gave it a year. And uh, you know what I've noticed though, whether it's uh, going to school for something or physique change or whatever. It's amazing how you put your head down and you focus on each week's microcycle. Mm-hmm. You, you you poke your head up a year later and you're like, oh my god, it's already been a year, and yeah. you've you've got the certification or you've you've got the the body or or at least significant progress toward it. You know what I mean? It's like, wow, that went faster than I thought. Mm-hmm. You know, so a year is really not that long, actually. Yeah. So good stuff. Um, this one will be fun to touch on too. It's the the post about a variety of dietary choices are marketed for enhanced glycogen recovery. Basically, it was a study done on they took I don't remember how many two sets of participants, anyways, and they you know they gave one sports supplements versus one fast food for glycogen recovery and exercise performance, and at the end of it, there was no significant difference. I don't know. I I think it's it's like I said to the post on there. I mean. Thousands of professional athletes would have told you the same thing. But, you know, the other thing I'm seeing is what they used for the sports supplements, in my opinion, wasn't much better than the fast food. Yeah. You know, it was still just it was it was loads of 
uh, processed stuff. You know, it was Gatorade and whatever the heck Cliff Shot blocks are, but I'm guessing some kind of... Uh, I think they're sugar, like little sugar gummy cube things. Yeah, some they? kind of post-workout yeah. sugar thing. And then uh, power bar and some protein powder. So, I mean, it's not like it was a difference between real whole food and fast food. You know, I would love to see that in, in comparison. That's a good point. Um, because it's still just two two different kinds of processed stuff. Sugar, right. So, exactly. It's just sugar in a different in a different delivery mechanism. Yeah, it'd be nice to look at so, that with something like whey protein and white rice or something. Yeah, uh, exactly, you know. I, I will say this. I mean, if you look at this, here's a quote from that actually. It says, "Rates of glycogen recovery were not different across the diets." And if you look, and I'm not going to bore people with millimoles of wet weight and all that, but um, it talks about um, the amounts it actually shows. And the fast food numbers are actually about 15% better for the glycogen recovery. Mm. It's just interesting to me. And then they did some time trials, I think running, Mm -hmm. uh, and they were almost identical. But I I just think it's funny that the actual glycogen recovery is slightly better yeah. If I'm reading this right, and I think I am, in the fast food category. Uh-huh. Well, I mean, and that's another another thing I came on there and said, and it's something I've said for years, is that, you know, if we translate this into elite athletics, which is what I brought up, you know, because I've dealt with people at the professional level, and most of them eat like crap. <laughs> you know? yeah. They really do, as far as athletics. Elite athletics has nothing to do with health. It just doesn't. People want to think it is. The pub, general public does. Oh, look at him. He's so fit and healthy. Usually they're not. Usually they're in lots of pain, and they're just cramming in calories and doing what it takes to get on the field again. <laughs> you know, And that's, that's one thing that people have to realize. I mean, when you look at the, the football player out there, it, it has nothing to do with health. If we actually did tests on the dude, he's probably like he feels like hell. Hypertensive, high <laughs> blood lipids, right? Yes. Yeah. It, it has nothing to do with health. Um, it's like anything else. I mean, if you're in this just for health, you're not going to you're going to be in that gray area. You're going to be in the middle. You're going to be kind of strong and kind of fit and you're going to eat pretty good. You know, the minute you want to go be an outlier, you got to do things the average person doesn't want to do, which means your body's going to react in a way that it it doesn't want to. That kind of goes back to what we were saying, you know, like um getting getting used to being a little uncomfortable, overfeeding. Yeah. I mean, uh, this is I think this was in cyclists or some type of endurance athlete, this paper, mm-hmm. uh, Kramer and colleagues, right? This is from uh, International Journal's Sports Nutrition Exercise Metabolism, March 2015. Uh, but garbage hounds, man. These aerobic mm-hmm. athletes are, I used to have a professor call them gar- garbage hounds because they would live on fast food and stuff. But mm-hmm. if you're training that you can run a marathon and you're anywhere near that distance, you know, every time you go run, like mm-hmm. 10 miles, 20, you know, 15, 20 mile runs. How else are you going to get the calories in, yeah. you know, to, to even be in a calorie balance? You know what yeah. I mean? You cannot pussyfoot around with uh, skinless, boneless chicken breasts mm-hmm. when you're guys like that. Their sport demands huge calorie loads mm-hmm. and you could call it garbage, but. You know, in that specific population, like you said, outlier, that's that's almost required. Yes, and that's that's where it comes in, you know. And that's why I hate when people label things good or bad food. Well, good for what? <laughs> you know? Yeah. I mean, sure, there are some out there. Like, I mean, I don't think anybody should be consuming massive amounts of trans fats or anything. There's just nothing good about it. 
But, yeah. you know, you can't tell me carbs, protein, or fat. Don't label one of those bad to me because there's there are groups out there that just need massive amounts of carbohydrate intake, you know, and they, they shouldn't be on a low-carb diet. I mean, and things like that. Their, their energy expenditure just demands it. What they do demands it. So it, there is no cookie-cutter, this is right for everyone. Tell me what you're wanting to do, and let's figure out what's right for that. You know, and goals um, change, too. Something that I've learned since competing last is that I do need to stop uh, trying to be the outlier. You know, I know too many guys. I even know a lot of young guys with herniated discs now and this and then. I mean, I'm, I've clearly got some osteoarthritis and stuff like mm-hmm. that. But the point is I've got to be thinking a little bit more on the health side of things. Yeah. You know, I can't be living – on the kind of off-season intake that I once did because with work and everything else, I train three days a week. I need to change a little bit, you know what I mean, on the healthier side of things. Now, now there's a lot of similarities. I still have my oats and berries with some whey protein in the morning and, you know, that kind of stuff. I try to eat chicken and vegetables at dinner. There's a lot of those old bodybuilding tricks that I still Mm – I'll I'll always do, you know, as a lifer. But uh, by the same token, yeah, I'm not trying – I never did try to – deadlift 800 pounds you know and that sort of thing and i'm not trying to blow up to 230 to 240 in the off season you know what i mean because uh i don't know that it's partly training age i don't want to make it sound like oh if you're in your 40s you can't do this stuff sure you can but my my career and my training age is in a lot of ways it's run a good part of its course and Mm -hmm. i need to just change goals not throw in the towel but change goals yeah, no, I mean, it's interesting you bring that up. It's something, you know, I consider myself a good friend with Windler, who, you know, we're both battling battling injuries, and we were talking about this the other day. You know, it's, it is, it's it's about changing goals. And um, what's hard about that is, you know, both of us, we're powerlifters. So there is no, like, like he equated it to, if we we're in the NFL, our contract would just get cut, and that's when we know we're done. <laughs> right. It's It's on us to decide when we're done is the bad thing in powerlifting. It's like, when do you call it for yourself? You know, there is no management saying, dude, your playing career is over. You know? right. You're not getting picked up by any teams. It's, it's when we decide we just can't take it anymore, you know, and, and then you're beating yourself up a bit about it. You well, know, like you, me, but I, Phil, I gotta... you know what? The truth is that very autonomy is what leaves a lot of guys crippling themselves mm-hmm. or, yes, it is. you know, the bodybuilder, Guys, maybe it's worse with the bodybuilder guys. I'm not sure because I've heard Dave Tate uh, talk about this too. But I've got one more show in me. I've got one more big mm-hmm. meat in me. Yeah. Yes, and then having the maturity to say no, no. I I was really happy. You know, like Lee Lee Labrada, when he stepped out of bodybuilding, he was on top. His placings mm-hmm. were going from first, second, first, second. He was right down around fourth and fifth. He's still a finalist in all the big shows, and. But, you know, as age got a little bit, you know, up on him and he st- he left on top. And I thought that was mm-hmm. mature and it was great for his actual business interest in his career afterwards because he didn't wash out and become this like has been who can't let go placing 15th in every show. Mm-hmm. You know, so I think there's something to be said, too, about having the strength to take on a new goal and really attack yep. it instead of trying to hang on to the goal that you had when you were 25. Yeah, exactly. And it's, I mean, and that's the deal. It's, it's a path. A new path is just that. It's a path. It's not an end, you know, and that's like me I'm facing right now. I've been pushing to go again and I'm in pain. I'm in more pain than I have been, mm. 
And so I have a hip, I, I go for a hip consultation in 18 days. And that's going to be to tell me, okay, am, am I not going for this next meet? Is that going to have to be put off till later? You know, it doesn't mean I'm done, but it means for now that, hey, maybe I'm doing this, you know. So, um, you know, and that remains to be seen. But it's, it's, it's kind of neat in that, you know, it's just, it's, you got to call it yourself. And that mentally beats you up a little bit. Because yeah, you're like, man, are you just being a sissy? You know, exactly. Why aren't you putting up with it? You know, because that's what you've done for years. But um, you, you deal with the pain, you know, because if and it goes back to the original what I was talking about. And, you know, elite athletics and being nothing about health. It's I don't care if, if you're trying to deadlift 800 pounds, you're going to hurt. <laughs> you know, Even if you're young. Yeah. Yeah. I don't care how genetically superior you are. If you're pushing for the body can lift 800 pounds. We weren't put on this earth to do it. That's a that's a decision of your own, and you're gonna have to do what it takes to do that. And and you're asking your body to do something that 99 percent of the population will never do. Something pretty weird, um, actually. Yes. So, yeah. um, you know, it physically can do it, but it just takes lots and lots of work. But um, yeah. So hey, let me anyways. follow up. I got one here. This is a, a topical of what you just said, Phil. Uh, let's pose this to uh, Dr. Nelson. Sure. This is from Matt. Uh, Piercy, uh, he says, I'm still struggling with knee pain on the back squat. Uh, not so much as I squat like it used to be, but for a couple days afterward. Uh, I've tried a lot of different things, and some work better than others. The weight is irrelevant. Whether it's 135 or 495, I usually pay the consequences. Then about five weeks ago, I started doing kettlebells. I noticed my knees weren't getting that sore. I did kettlebell squats for a couple weeks, then back squatted again. And sure enough, I got the knee pain. So I decided to try front squats, and my knees were fine. Uh, I know I'm going to the same depth on all of these squats. So, one, do you think I'm keeping better posture with the weight in the front? Two, will this eventually fix my back squat? And three, how well do front squats translate to back squats? Yeah. Um, so it's pretty cool that he ran the little experiments to see uh, what's going on with it. And, you know, obviously the big caveat is if you have pain back squatting, then you should probably not back squat for a while in pain. <laughs> I know that seems like really obvious, but I know I've been unfortunately guilty of violating that in the past too because not, not only if you have a mechanical issue going on, you're probably making it worse. Um, two, you're also neurologically associating pain in a back squat. Right, then that may, if you keep doing it, show up in other squatting patterns too, right? So your brain is, is learning that squatting is becoming painful, and that's mm. not a, a road you want to go down for a long period of time. Um, and Phil can probably talk to this too, that maybe something with the mechanics um, of it. I always ask people what are their old injuries, uh, especially ankle injuries, hip injuries, knee injuries, even stuff like opposite shoulder, opposite elbow can show up in the opposite knee. Um, also, if it's one knee or if it's both knees. So if it's one knee and you're looking at the video and it, it looks pretty symmetric, then you really know that there's probably something going on. You know, if they email me and they say, yeah, it's both knees, I'm usually tending to thinking it's more of a general um, technique thing at that point. And there can obviously be uh, mixes of both of those. Um, when he said that the front squat was better, that makes you think there may be some mechanics uh, type thing with the back squat that's off a little bit, especially with um, posture and knee position and that type of thing. Um, I have 
you know, anecdotally worked with some other trainers and stuff, and they didn't have a, a good physical therapist or anyone to refer their lifters to. So I said, well, just don't have them do anything that's painful. If they can still front squat or kettlebell front squat and it's not painful, you know, just have them do that for a period of time. Anecdotally, like 50% of the time, the pain sort of fixes itself and they can go back and do the back squat again and it's okay. Um, sometimes it's it's not. So I would say it really depends on what's going on. I was just, well, just going to say he's got both knees uh hurting him so what do you yeah. Phil, you were just about to say something go ahead i was just gonna say because of the testing he did i would say um now if he just said squatting hurt it then then yeah okay we've, we've got some kind of issue um but he kettlebell squatted he front squatted those were both fine it's the back squat that's bad you know the first thing that tells me is probably a form issue some kind of mechanics like michael was saying is, is, is off on some. that yeah so um, my first guess without seeing a video is, you know, it could even be hamstring tightness because, of course, you put a bar on your back, so you're doing more hip flexion. Um, you're pulling on those hamstrings more. Maybe it's tugging on the knees. I, you know, it, it's hard to tell, but there's something going on, not in a squat, but in specifically a back squat, which tends to have more hip flexion. So, um, and it could just be, you know, even the way he's moving himself is wrong you know not a tightness mm -hmm. so i would have to see videos and stuff like that but yeah i think the front squat i mean just doing a cycle of front squats for three months six months or something like that that will bleed over to your back squat your body will learn to to move in a squat a different way yeah you know if you stick to that long term if i if i just front squatted for six months my back squat would probably be slightly different because i just strengthened other areas and i'm used to sitting upright much more so um but yeah, my my guess would be there's some kind of movement issue. So yeah, will it fix his back squat? Not necessarily by itself, but I agree. Yeah, I really, and I bet there's literature on this too. I really think it will translate to a better back squat, mm -hmm. especially because I think he said something about he tends to be a higher bar squatter anyway. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. yeah, I wonder if he has a long torso, so long femur. Yeah, I don't know, but um, yeah, I mean, squatting translates to squatting really well. Be it front squat, back yeah. squat, <laughs> yeah. you know, you're still, you know, doing massive amounts of hip and leg extension, you know. Right. So, Deep knee bends, basically. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so um, don't feel bad about it. I mean, you can actually, I hadn't seen this. I've only seen this once, but you can go into a powerlifting meet and front squat. A lot of people don't know that. Really? Yes. I, I there was a guy that. that did it, and I was a judge at the time, and we had to stop and, like, look in the rule book. Whoa. <laughs> and... It never says in any of the rules that it just says squat, and you huh. have to cross parallel. There was a guy who walked up, he front squatted, and we're like, whoa, wait a minute. You know? <laughs> and, yeah, so we pulled out the rule book, and it's like, yeah, it doesn't say anything about back squat. It just says squat. So Holy crap. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, he came into a powerlifting meet and front squatted. And, you know, it just says you have squat, and your knees or your hip has to cross parallel. So it was like, yeah, okay, it counts. Good job. Well, I can only so. see someone choosing that if they do have some type of orthopedic thing. I yes, can't imagine. And that's what this guy's problem was. Yeah. So. Yeah. yeah. Uh, <clears throat> hey, one more so. thing before we end. Uh, Jeff Wilson set, sent something in, and this is just just fun talk. Uh, Jeff's a good guy. He says, uh, "I'm sure a few of us already listened to Mark Bell's Powercast, et cetera, et cetera." But he talks about lots of profanity. Be warned. And then there's some comments on our Facebook page here um 
one guy actually said, it's one of the few podcasts I've tried and deleted. I didn't care for the attitude and the language. And then uh, Michael Miskell's on there, and he's like, I taught my kids the proper time and place for profanity, one of which being a podcast about lifting. Mm -hmm. So <laughs> what do you guys think about that? You know, I'm always joking. I actually, on iTunes, I'll make little comments that say uh, at the beginning, uh, caution, potty mouth, power lifters at work, you know. Um, but what do you guys think about that? Because, I mean, we're pretty PG-13 on this, but um, does that just come – Come with the territory? Knowing Mark well, yes. Mark's, <laughs> it's just Mark being Mark. You know? Yeah. And it's kind of like, you know, it's those guys unfiltered is what it is. And I think that's what most people that listen to that want to hear. It's like when we have Windler on or something like that. We just know it's going to happen. You know, and even me, you know, I'm on other podcasts and I'm different on there than I am on here. I try and watch it a bit more because that's what we decided on from the beginning. Right. <laughs> you know, so. Well, because yeah, there are some them. people, they're going to be turned, if they're not part of the subculture yet. Mm -hmm. They're going to be like, who is this tough guy? He's an a-hole. And you got to realize, no, that's just part of the subculture. But you know what I mean? Yeah. As somebody who might be newer, and I know we have some a lot of veteran lifters too, of course, but you're right, Phil. It's a general format. It's like, who's your target audience? Mm -hmm. You know, It's just like people walking into my gym. You know, I have – you got to be a little special to be in my gym. <laughs> but, I mean, I've got little six through nine-year-olds. They come in there and, you know, their yeah. parents just, yep, that's what they're going to do. It's part of the culture here. And they're old enough. They know not to do that out of here. You know, they might hear some music that they normally don't hear. They might hear some words they normally don't hear. Right. But they're in here to get stronger and get better at their sport. So Right. And that, to uh, me, that's up to the like parents. It's a proper place and time. It is. And it, if they – I'm not going to be mad at them if they think it's the wrong place for the child. That's fine. You know, but I'm not going to change my gym. <laughs> well, you know what I'm saying? I mean, the parents, I think it's on them in a sense to say, just because you see this doesn't mean it's okay for you to do this. Yes. You're exactly. not an adult. You know, you're not a power lifter. <laughs> you know? That's, I mean, my daughter's been around it from, well, her birth. And she knows better. <laughs> you know? yeah. So, And you know what, too? Yeah. This is uh, this is not an excuse. This is a simple reality. And I know you guys understand this, uh, especially maybe you, Mike, because you still are a teacher as well. But... I yeah. can't get on here and drop repeated F-bombs. I'm a teacher. I'm a professor. And if my kids listen to this, you know what I mean? It's just it's just inappropriate. I mean, there are some situations in which it's pretty inappropriate. Now, am I looser on here than I am in the classroom? Well, hell yeah, you know, uh, like right there. But I don't want to be the profanity police necessarily because yes. I, I remember when we had Wendler on, I swear to God, you guys, I thought, I'll beep him. I'll beep it out. I'll, and after about 40 of them, I'm like, forget it. You know, I can't, I can't be, I can't be the profanity police. So I just there's, there's put the little, than words. <laughs> put uh, the warning on it, you know, label. No, it goes back to Mark being Mark too. And he knows his audience, you know, above all, Mark's smart. Everything he does is for a reason. And it's a lot of it's marketing and he's marketing to a certain population. You know? And that's yeah. what his podcast about. That's what his, you know, everything he does is about. The you only know, thing I don't him. care for is and I'm not saying this about um, any one of these guys, Mark or whoever. I mean, Mark actually reminds me a lot of one of my childhood buddies. Uh, but sometimes you'll get some people in the industry, and it seems to happen more on the powerlifting side than the bodybuilding side. But their claim to fame is that they're sort of a personality in the mm -hmm. field, yes. um, mm -hmm. or and some people could perceive that as just being a tough guy, quote mm -hmm. unquote, tough guy. You know, but um, 
they can use that position to do some good too if they're also smart like you say yeah. and they're not just out they're trying to be tough and you know oh time enough for sleep in the grave and beer and pizza is all you need yeah. and 800 pounds and you know take this much juice and this much gh and it's yeah. like you know at some point you're not actually helping you're you're doing it for your own fame instead of trying to help others i think mm -hmm. Yeah. No, I mean, and that's the thing. I, I, you know, Mark's just being Mark. Like, if, if you can't listen to his podcast and appreciate it for what it is and laugh a lot, you, you would hate to see the text I get. You know? So <laughs> it's worse when it's not on the air. So, yeah. Um, that's possible. You know, it's just, it's just having fun, you know, is all he's doing. He's enjoying life. And that's part of what his show's about. It's just, it's, here's a snapshot. Here's, here's, here's Powercast Unplugged, you know, is really what it is. It's like, here's, this is just a day in the life. Well, I so. think that's the, what's beautiful about podcasting is you get different flavors. You know, you yeah. can get similar – like here you're going to get the occasional science news. You know, you're going to get some of the practical stuff. I mean, one of the best comments I think I've gotten is, you know, you guys as a group tend to have all the bases covered. And yeah. I like that. It's a little yeah. bit more on the academic, but it's also in the coaching and in the trenches. And yeah. you know what I mean? And I listen to different genres of podcasts that have nothing to do with lifting. Oh, yeah. And – I can appreciate the differences. Once you really get into something, whether it's lifting or some hobby, whatever it is, you can appreciate the different approaches, you know, and listen to more than one podcast. In fact, one of the things I think we need to do more in the fitness podcast arena is get each other on podcasts, mm -hmm. you know, because in some of these other podcasts I listen to, they invite each other on just almost to promote each other because yeah. let's face it, there's there's plenty to go around, especially because each one has different individuals, different flavors, different information, you know, so. Yep. Yep. All right. Yeah, so. My two cents on that is I, I agree. I mean, those people are who they are, and so they're not, in my opinion, trying to be somebody else. And anyone who's been around or even if they tune into one of those shows will figure that out within the mm -hmm. first few seconds, actually. You would hope, um, yeah. You would hope, yeah. Um, but it does kind of bug me a little bit when you see – other people who do certain things, whether it's language or being more, you know, flamboyant or controversial just to get attention. Mm -hmm. And it's not necessarily who they are or what they yes. represent, but they're doing it just to get attention. I think that's, that's more of a YouTube thing, me. actually. Well, yeah. And that would be, yeah. I mean, it would be contrived then. You yeah. know, like I would, if honestly, like I would probably fall asleep if I listened to Mark on a podcast that was PG. Because I'd know it'd be Mark trying to be somebody he's not. <laughs> yeah, know? yeah. He, it would be a contrived version of himself. <clears throat> you know, so you know, like he's just being him. And, but you know what I'm saying? Yeah. I, I, there are a lot of these guys. They parade around with this, like it's yes. almost like selfies, but with video on YouTube. I just think YouTube's way more offensive. You get less of that contrived crap on podcasting. I hope. Yeah. Um, because yeah, otherwise, it just fades. Nobody listens. Like you said, Mike, I think some people, hopefully most people, catch a whiff that, you know, I don't know what who this guy's acting like, but mm -hmm. this isn't real, you know. I don't know. Uh, yeah, it's like a freaking chihuahua coming up and barking at a German shepherd. It's like, come on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just shut up. Right. You know, so, but, yeah, no, it's good times. So. All right, guys. Well, um, again, it sounds weird that I keep saying this, that this is a mid-May that you guys will be listening to this uh, because we're sure not recording it in mid-May. Mm -hmm. uh, but anyway, so that's it for this week, and I guess we'll uh, catch up with everybody next week. Thanks a lot, guys. Thanks, guys.
Hey listeners, have you seen the store at ironradio.org? There are three halls in the store. One for Phil, one for Fortress, and one for myself, Dr. Lowry. And they're thematic. So you can go into our Halls of Iron store and choose based on your goal. If you need something to learn or read or something nutritional, you can look in my store, uh, Lonnie's store. If you want something about injury prevention uh, or competition, then take a look at Phil's Hall of Iron. And if you want something about motivation or daily training, Fortress's Hall has what you're looking for. There are some fun, heroic descriptors uh, as you browse through the stores. We try to make it a little more fun than the average boring online store. And whether you're a novice lifter or someone more experienced, you can take heart that you're not wasting your time. The things that we put in each hall of iron are actually based on our own recommendations. Protein powders that we know to be good. Uh, knee sleeves. Wraps of some kind. Things that Fortress uses in his own training. Uh, the stuff you, you see, you know is good. This way you don't waste time. So check out the Iron Radio store at ironradio.org. And um, let us know what you think on the forums. And certainly you can request products and we will uh, screen them before they go in. So thanks for listening. Iron Radio is accepting donations. If you like what we do, the professors, the scientists, the bodybuilding show promoters, the athletes themselves in powerlifting and bodybuilding. Um, please consider making a donation or maybe buying something from the ironradio.org uh, store. Uh, we also are accepting supporting members. So for $4 a month, which is frankly less than the bank sneaks out of your account in fees, you can step up and support a form of sort of public radio for the bodybuilding and powerlifting and strength community. The Iron Radio Podcast and all of the audio on ironradio.org is for informational purposes only. If you're interested in starting a diet or exercise program, it's important to check with your physician. Also seek the help of registered dietitians, athletic trainers, and qualified exercise physiologists in order to make the progress that you need.